<laughs> that um, I've been looking heard them practicing and uh, have seen that kind of take shape. And um, for those of you who recognize him um, on guitar there, that was Steve Bradley, and he is the lead guitarist for No Longer Music. No Longer Music is part of Steiger International, a missionary organization that we support and uh, have a close relationship with. And uh, so we are absolutely delighted to have Steve with us this morning to be able to share the talent that God has given him and to lead uh, all of us just into God's presence. Um, that was so beautiful. And just, like I said, I, I just totally look forward to that uh, coming up to this. So I'm just standing here mumbling, trying to regain myself here. All right. Um, going back to last week, just want to say uh, again, a thank you to all those of you who put so much effort into our Christmas program that the kids did last week. Um, it was awesome. Uh, the kids did such a good job. All of the effort that they put into that was uh, was worth it, worth every minute. And um, they did such a fantastic job. And I have to tell you that um, sometimes we just look at the the Christmas musical that kids do and we look at it as, you know, that's a kid's thing and it's good for the kids and it's fun and it's cute and it's got all that going for it. Um, you have to... You have to understand how God uses these things. Because you know that when the kids put on their musical, if you've got kids or grandkids that are in the program, you come, extended family gets invited. Last weekend, we had 522 people in here to see this production that the kids put on. And I got to tell you something, especially on Saturday when, when there were an awful lot of non-Chapel Hill people here who would come with families and friends and, and that kind of thing. The, what God does when he takes a message that's so clear in a musical like that and just delivers it into the hearts of people. Um, the feedback that I got from Saturday as, as we gave them a, a little bit of time to reflect after the musical was done and just to, to look into their own life, to, to where Christ fits into their picture and how Christ can bring peace and hope into their broken world and that kind of stuff. Um, church, there was just an overwhelming response to that. There were a lot of lives that were moved last weekend because of a kid's musical. And I love that God takes it and uses it, and he knew exactly what was going to happen. He knew what kind of impact this was going to have in people's lives. And it was a very, very worthwhile thing to do. It was just great. Um, I have been tremendously encouraged by the theme passage that we've had for our Christmas season this year. Um, I can't tell you how, how unique it is this year, how much these two verses have just sunk into me and have become a part of my, my thoughts throughout the day and, and just a part of um, what I'm doing and who I am. And, and, and I love how God tied all this together. We weren't on the same page back when the Christmas musical was selected and, and those wheels began to, to take motion. And, um, but there in the musical last week, um, our passage, these two verses from Isaiah chapter 9, um, were spoken in the musical, um, a song that has become our, our theme, which we'll hear after, uh, after I'm done rambling up here. Um, that was in the musical, and, and it's just, I love how God has tied this together. Um, this past week, I was uh, driving into work one day, and, and as I'm driving, 
feeling for, and I, I'm trying to think back at what it was that triggered it, if it was the, the news or something, or somebody that I, it was actually, it was somebody I'd interacted with and just talking about the, the weight and the burden in their life and, and what this world has put on them. And as I'm driving along and reflecting on this, uh, Chris Tomlin's version of Silent Night comes on the radio, and in the middle of that song, our two verses are spoken right there in that song. Um, I was right around Buck Hill on, on I-35 coming in from the south, and I lost it. I'm driving along, and I'm trying really hard at that point not to let people next to me see what's going on. But I was just hit by this, by the significance of this passage, of this prophecy that Isaiah brought to the world regarding Christ and his coming. And I'm so thrilled that this is where we are Um, So I want to read for you again as we start this morning, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. And it's up on the screen for you there. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is where we are this Christmas season. This is what I want. These are the words that I want to be ringing in your ears as you go through this entire season. This is, the, this is the prophecy that was spoken regarding the coming of God's Son. And there's so much beauty in the description of our Savior that's found here in Isaiah 9. In my goal for this morning, and this is why we're doing things a little differently this morning in terms of the order of things. My goal for this morning is to reflect again on what this says about who Jesus is. And then just to release ourselves into worship. And to leave this place in a state of worship. And so we're going to do a few songs at the end that will just take us there. In terms of acknowledging who this is. Who this Christ is. Isaiah writes that he'll be called Wonderful Counselor. And and a couple weeks ago we talked about this title for Jesus. We talked about the voices, the influences that come at us from all different angles. The counsel that we receive from the world. In how strong it is, how many voices there are, all that noise that's out there coming at us. And we talked about how in the midst of that, Jesus came as this one voice of counsel that we can absolutely trust. And that we ought to be listening to with all of our energy. We can trust his perspective. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could go to our rulers in this world For the kind of guidance and counsel that Christ can give. But we can't. We can't count on them for that. We can only count on Jesus Christ, our wonderful counselor. We talked about mighty God a couple weeks ago. That title as well. And when it comes to the ruling party that I willingly submit to, I need to know that my king has ultimate power. That his power is limitless. And we serve an all-powerful God And Christ came to demonstrate the power of that God. 
He came as mighty God. And we saw his power over physical well-being, over emotional well-being, over resources, over death, over sin, over all creation. And we worship him this morning as mighty God. And today I want us to reflect on the third and fourth characteristics that God gave us through Isaiah and his prophecy. Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. Here's a strange, strange reality. I don't know if if you've ever thought about this before, but Isaiah talks about the fact that a child is given to us, a a son is born to us, and then he gives him the name Everlasting Father. And how there's a bit of a contrast in there. This is the son. This is the son of God who came, and he's given the name Everlasting Father. There has to be something very unique about all this. And there is. And what's unique about this is the fact that the Father and the Son are one. They are the same person. Here are some references from the book of John to back that reality up. The Father and the Son are one. And here's what was written and and spoken often by Jesus in the book of John. John 5, 19 So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing for whatever the father does that the son does. Likewise, in John 10, 23, Jesus couldn't have made it any clearer. I and the father are one. John 14, verse seven, Jesus says, if you had known me, you would have known my father also from now on. You do know him and have seen him. John 14, verses 10 and 11. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I, that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am the Father and the Father is in me. That I am in the Father and the Father is in me or else believe on account of the works themselves. And then in John 17, verse 21, as he's praying, this is part of Jesus' prayer, and he's praying for his disciples, and he prays that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. God the Father and God the Son are one, and so the child that came was given the title Everlasting Father. And this is where my mind went this week. Why everlasting father? Because, and this is, this thought has really dominated my perspective on this. Because since the fall of Adam and Eve, God has looked at his creation. God has looked at mankind. God has looked at the state that the world is in. God has looked at the state that you're in. God has looked at the state that I'm in. And God has declared, this world needs a father. This world needs a dad. And this is what the, the message that he's giving us here with this prophecy, prophecy through Isaiah. You and I need a dad. This world needs a dad. And so God moved closer to us through his son, Jesus Christ. Are you encouraged by the fact that God had that kind of compassion for us? Even to the point of sending his own son to die for us and to bring us closer to him. This is how much our father loves us. 
And this is where the Trinity once again comes into play. It's, it's God controlling things here. It's God making the move here. God loves us. And so mankind starts off in direct communion with God in the garden a long, long time ago. That communion gets broken. So God, after speaking through prophets like Isaiah, comes close to us by taking on the form of of a man in Jesus Christ. And then when the son's work is done, God embarks on a new phase of his plan to reestablish that communion with him. And he comes closer than ever to us through his spirit who now lives in us and dwells with us daily. Jesus Christ was God incarnate. God communicated that through Isaiah as well. In Isaiah 7, 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and, shall, and she shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel. And that means God with us. God with us in the person of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus, the son, is called everlasting Father. In the original Hebrew in the Bible, the term everlasting father, that term father addresses Jesus as this very, very, very short word, ab, A-B, ab. That's it, not abba, that's a different thing, but ab. And this is important, this is significant, because God has a lot of different names, a lot of different titles and characteristics that are communicated in the Bible. There are different words that are there in the original language that are all translated as God or Father. We don't have that range that was there in, the, in our language that was there in the original language. This one, Ab, has its own unique meaning. This one's used in the context of bringer up, or as I always, I always mess this up. It's always bringer upper for me. Bringer up, that's his title. Bringer up or nourisher. In the title Everlasting Father, the character of God that Jesus the Son is demonstrating is that he's the one who brings us up, who raises us, who gives us what we need to grow, who provides nourishment for us, who bestows his benefits on us like a parent. So that we can grow up in him. This is who's described here. And it makes sense when you look at some of what, what Jesus said. This is John six thirty five. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is the everlasting father who was sent to save us. Think about the Jesus we see in the Bible. Can you see the fatherly attributes that he displays? They're there. They're pretty obvious. God was described in Psalm 68, 5 as the father to the fatherless. And the attri- that attribute of God was clearly evident in Jesus, in his character, in his life. Think about Jesus weeping over the state of his people over Jerusalem as he stands before the city and yearning to gather them under his wing like a hen gathers her chicks. Isaiah himself referred to God as the father of his people. God incarnate, come in human form, was this father. Jesus was the everlasting father. So what was he like? 
So what was this father like? How did Jesus demonstrate the character of the father while walking among us? And we don't have to look farther than the relationship between Jesus and his disciples to see this father character being lived out. Think about Peter. After all the ups and downs with Peter, things that he'd been through with Jesus, Jesus expresses his forgiveness and his restoration, his desire for restoration for Peter after the resurrection. He didn't scold Peter, but he didn't let him off the hook for his denial. He says, Peter, do you love me? And takes it right back there. Do you love me? And Jesus' love for Peter was a a father's love for his son. It was unconditional. Think about John. John, of course, referred to himself as the one who Jesus loved, as if there was only one. John made reference to himself physically leaning on Jesus. He had this comfortable relationship that was filled with love and trust. Jesus' love for John had this tremendous impact and a very fatherly impact on John. Jesus referred to his disciples as little children. He grew them up like a father would grow up his children. Think of all the different ways that he did this. He taught them. He used parables with them. Stories that they could connect with and understand. He taught them lessons straight up. He, he corrected them. He exhorted them. He taught them. He brought them along. He showed them the way himself and invited them to follow him. Isn't that what a father should do? He let them try and even fail at the mission that he gave them. He sent them out to do the work of his kingdom. And they came back struggling, having failed. And he told them, this is something that only prayer can fix. So it's it's okay that you fail. Don't worry about it. And he coached them along the way. He encouraged them. He affirmed them. Can you imagine hearing from Jesus Christ that you are going to do even greater things than he's done? How affirming is that? He left them with this incredible commissioning. There's this legacy that Jesus left behind that he spoke to his kids, to his disciples. That they would complete the mission that he started. He was handing the baton to them to carry on what he established on earth. Fathers, think about this for a minute. We have a legacy to leave for our kids. Isn't it only natural to, when we look at Jesus and his role as everlasting father, isn't it only natural that our target would be to leave our kids with a commission to go into all the world and reach them for Jesus Christ? He left them with this amazing mission so that you and I would one day receive that baton and carry on the work that Jesus started. He provided for them and protected them like a father should. He fed them and 5,000 men besides. He gave them vision. He gave them a purpose. He gave them supernatural abilities when they needed it to bring credibility to the mission and help people understand that this is the Son of God He gave them a future, an eternal one. 
He protected them. Think back to when they were out on the, the, the lake on the sea and the wind came up and they were terrified because of the storm going on all around them. And he calmed the sea and protected them there. Think about the time around the crucifixion and the fact that really if there was so much anger towards Jesus, why didn't they kill his disciples as well at that point? Jesus kept himself separated and kept them from having to go through what he was called to go through at that point. Jesus demonstrated the character of the Father in the parables that he told. And obviously we don't have to go much farther than the parable of the lost son. The Father's son took off, squandered his inheritance, blew it, made bad decisions. But on his way back, what's the Father's reaction? Here's Jesus communicating the character of a father. And the father that he describes in this parable runs to meet his son. Jesus demonstrated love for the bride, for the church, for his bride, like a father should throughout his life and by laying down his life for her. Did his disciples respond to him as a father? Well, in John 6, 68, one of my favorite passages, when they're asked if they too were going to abandon him, if they were going to abandon Jesus, the disciples responded with, where else would we go? You're it. You have the words of life and we want to be here by your side. They saw that in him. Jesus birthed a whole new family, one that did not include a difference in value between Jews and Gentiles, slaves and free, men and women. He is and will always be our everlasting father, our bringer up, our nourisher. The child became the eternal father of God's people. What a gift you and I have been given in this son, this child coming for us. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. And fourthly, prince of peace. Jesus was the prince sent by the king. He was the son, as Isaiah prophesied, given to us. Peter correctly identified Jesus when Jesus asked his disciples to state who they thought he was in comparison to what the general population thought. And Peter, without hesitation, identified Jesus as the Christ, the son of the living God. He was the prince representing the king. Jesus represented the king by doing what his father had for him to do. He was under the orders and authority of the king. He said, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus, as prince, assured us of the Father's love for us. In Luke twelve thirty two, he said this. He said, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That's the voice of a prince speaking on behalf of the king. He was a perfect prince. And even greater than representing his father so well, Jesus would come offering to save us, to free us, to reconcile you and me to the king. The title Prince of Peace is translated from the Hebrew Sar Shalom. And these words give us great insight into who Jesus is and what this title means to us. We were sent a son, we were given a child, and his name, his title, was given to him by our father. Even in the title of this prince, 
God's giving us a message that's intended to draw us closer to him. Sar Shalom means ruler of completeness, wholeness. Peace in this sense does not simply mean the absence of war or conflict. That's not what it's talking about. That's not the total picture of Shalom. A prince in this world is often responsible for keeping peace in his kingdom. And sometimes it takes war. This prince offers much more than that. This prince, the son who was given to us, can bring wholeness and wellness and flourishing to those who accept his gift. His peace cannot be compared to political peace, to financial peace, to physical peace. It is a peace that transcends anything that this world has to offer. And this peace can only be found in the prince, in Jesus Christ the Son of God, the Prince of Peace. In Ephesians 2.14, Paul refers to his identity. He says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. The Prince of Peace is our peace. The Everlasting Father is our Father. The Wonderful Counselor is our Counselor. The Mighty God is our God. All of this, this gift far beyond description, has been extended in love to us by our eternal loving Father. This is at the core of the beauty of this Christmas season. This is what it is. This is what this gift is. This Christmas, you and I have been given the gift of a trustworthy counselor, of an all-powerful God of a loving father and a prince who leads us to the source of our completeness, the completeness that God desires for us. Don't lose sight of that as you celebrate the incarnation of Jesus this Christmas. I want to read for you one more time as I close the, the words of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore. Those are the words that I want ringing in our ears throughout this Christmas season. We have been given a gift, church. A son was given, a child was born to be all of these things for us. I want to invite you myself to our Christmas Eve service on Saturday at 430 Come and join us here. It'll be a candlelit service, and um, we will just enter in fully to who this king is, to who this child is that came to us and is all these things to us. Come and celebrate that with us together, and then enjoy Sunday morning, Christmas Day with your family. We're going to, when I'm done praying, as I said, we're going to continue in worship together. Come ready to worship the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. Let's pray together.
Father, once again, I just stand amazed at as, as far away as you seem sometimes, you are never, never detached, never unaware of what's happening here on earth. And I thank you for that compassion. I thank you for your mercy towards us that you look down into our condition and you said, this world needs a dad. And you came in the form of your son, took on the form of a human being who became one of us and walked among us, faced the struggles and temptations that we do, rose above them and showed us the way. And God, this Christmas we just come before you in deep gratitude for that gift. For the gift of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the child. Thank you for your son. And for all the ways that you have revealed yourself in him. Thank you for coming near to us. Thank you for the ways that you expressed your love as our father through him. Thank you for the ways that you demonstrated the peace that you want for us through him we praise you for your son we praise you for Jesus Christ we praise you for the day that is coming soon when we will begin to experience eternity in a place where all conflict all strife is gone and the prince of peace will reign forevermore Thank you for this Christmas season. I pray for everyone that is here that you would bless this time of celebration, that you would bless the time that they have with their families, that you would bless the time that they have, maybe just them and you, just experiencing this gift and remembering all that you've done for them. Father, bless each one of them. I pray this in the name of the wonderful counselor, mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.